Resonate is a community that loves like Jesus, and we want you to experience that with us together. I want to encourage you to tune in to this online broadcast each and every week or attend our weekly gatherings in Sherwood at 10 a.m. You also can join in on one of our community groups that meet during the week either here at the church building or in homes. So to find out more about our community or give to our ministry financially, please visit our website at resonatelife.org. We are in our current series called A Priest and a Physicist Walk into a Bar. Well, that's an interesting title, and we're talking about how science and religion can live in the same space, that we don't have to reject one for the other. So today's sermon is titled, The God Question. So if people tell me that you don't need science to be a good Christian with a strong faith, I agree, to that to, agree with that to a point. Science serves a purpose to enrich our lives, and it does enrich our faith. And God has revealed truth to us through his word, the Bible, but yet through the physical laws and principles governing our universe as well. So I think that science is important and it should never be rejected as a, as a discipline. So Romans 1.20 says this, ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through the things God has made. So humans are without an excuse. So the Bible explains that God was intimately involved in the entire process of creation. His purpose and plan are shown to be in the driving forces behind the formation of this remarkable universe. However, many details concerning how are not ever given. So the Bible is clearly not intended to be a science textbook. So most Christians accept a view of origins without any input from science, particularly since this is like seen, this biblical account is seen as sacred ground reserved for the Bible alone or Genesis alone to address. So scientific theories which appear to conflict with biblical teaching are often rejected by the Christian community. And tragically, though, those outside the Christian faith who recognize the value of science but see the Christian community rejecting science see no need to consider the claims of Christian beliefs. Well, in our in-person gathering last week, I had a Q&A time after the sermon, and I do this in our in-person gatherings. And I had a list of possible questions that I thought, okay, this is probably within the bank of questions that would be asked. And what's interesting about this sort of topic is I might be thinking down one road, and the, the congregation or a certain number of you might be thinking down a totally different dimension. And this brings interesting discussion and important discussion to the table. So we've had some good thoughts over the week and last weekend. And so if you have questions, we want to encourage you to give us those questions. You can email us at info at resonatelife.org and give us those questions because we want your questions to be answered. And there's no such thing as a stupid question. And so we want to answer all questions or give some guidance to, to your thoughts or point you to some resources that you can guide your own thoughts. So if you're an online listener, please just send us that email when you get a chance. So that Q&A session brought up some topics that I thought, wow, okay, 
Let's pause for a second and not come under any assumptions of where we all stand with our understanding, let's say our filters, but also our own assumptions. Let's say our assumptions of how we all think that the world was created. So to start out our day today, I want to clarify something that I believe is very important to the discussion of theology or when you're in the theology camp and let's say you're discussing science and you have a theology filter, I believe there's something very important to that discussion. There are different categories of theology and some categories carry more weight than others. There are categories that are not connected at all to salvation. Some are cultural, some are spiritual, yet Jesus never connects them to the gospel. They're not connected to the death, the burial, or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you can have an opinion on certain things, like, believe it or not, the authority of the Bible, whether or not certain stories were myth or historically accurate. Jesus never connects your thoughts on that to your salvation. The creation account, whether you believe it's a Hebrew poem or a literal writing or a literal historical account that's not connected to salvation. Let's say the kind of elements we use for communion, whether we do intinction or one cup communion or pass the plate of communion, the, that's not connected. The, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, uh, not connected. You can even have differences of opinion of, let's say, certain miracles in the Bible that are not connected to the death, burial, and resurrection, like the virgin birth. So you can believe certain versions of these different ideas, and we can differ in our opinion. There's no connection to salvation whatsoever in the Bible, and we get to go to heaven together. Some of us call those non-salvational issues. I'll just call them cultural issues, and you can have Christian cultural issues or non-Christian cultural issues. We can believe differently, but there's no connection to our salvation. Well, I believe that it's important to come to a unified agreement, let's say, on these, that either we agree as a community to support and believe a certain version of such things, or we make it a non-issue and agree to make it an issue we can disagree on and be okay. We can have rich discussion, we can have healthy discussion, but these are the things that we will never divide over because they are cultural issues. Well, there's a huge list of cultural issues that I believe are non-salvational issues. But then there's another category that's, that's very much smaller. And these are salvational issues. These are the issues that are connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They are non-negotiable issues for us that some people call salvational. I like to call them gospel issues. These are the things that are that as a Christian community, we need to unify on these things because they're for salvation. For example, faith would be one of those issues, faith in Jesus. The resurrection would be another and our belief that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Baptism would be one of these things. Communion, doing communion would be one of these things, that we do it as an act. Of course, like I said before, the modes of communion would be a cultural issue repentance, confession, the forgiveness of sins. I would say that those, that's the list of salvational issues that I can think of right now that are connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, those are called gospel issues. 
And the third category that I want to bring up that I believe has emerged in Christianity just in recent history, that's the category of relational issues. Whether something is a relational issue or not is a very important discussion in how we perform holy deeds and treat other people. I believe these lead us down to the path of construction or destruction, and how we treat people matter matters. So how we love and accept people, that matters. And this is a human relationship thing. This is a part of the greatest commandment, to love God and to love others. So the discussion of equality, social justice, our attitude towards things like mental illness and traumas, and our view of sins and our treatment of people who are in sin, this is the category where we can become very missional or anti-missional in our purpose. And we need to have careful obedience to the value of loving others. And I'll call this the missional category of theology. We have the cultural, the gospel, and the missional. And even though every person needs to be considered as a unique individual, we need to unify on our treatment of others and the practice of what love looks like. So science is in the cultural category, or let's say the non-salvational category in theology. You can agree on certain scientific principles or disagree on certain scientific principles, and Jesus does not connect those to the death, burial, and resurrection. So you and I still get to go to heaven even though we disagree on such things. Nowhere does Jesus say things like, you must agree with how the earth is created, otherwise you can't go to heaven. So you can believe that we just all appeared here on earth and God created the universe with age and one spoken voice all at once. Or I can believe that God created the universe and our world over a long period of time. And we both still get to be with Jesus for eternity. So I want to give these ideas proper weight. Yet even though it's a non-salvational issue, I find it very important to talk about because so many things about science points us, points us towards faith to provide evidence and the possibility to God. So last week, I really learned a lot from a scientist that's a part of our congregation, and she said a couple of very important things that I want to reiterate and give to you today. So first, science is not something you believe in. And, and we kick around that word belief so many times. I believe in this, I believe in this. And, and I use this word a lot too, like it's an easy word. Yet, as we were talking about this week, it's not an easy word. It's a very, the word belief is a very powerful word. And science is a study. It's the study of the natural world. And even though it's common to say, I believe in science, I don't think it's responsible to say those kinds of things anymore because science is ever-changing. It proves things accurate and inaccurate. And then sometimes it proves the things that it thought was accurate back to inaccurate and that which was thought to be inaccurate back to accurate. Science is ever-growing in knowledge. It's ever-growing in application. And many things are based on assumptions that within the scientific world, the community, that the assumptions sometimes are agreed upon and some are disagreed upon. 
So my science friend said this, even the theory of gravity has changed over the years. So some of the foundational assumptions have changed. From Newton to Einstein was a huge change in the previous thoughts of gravity and how the, the universe was basically placed or expanded. So based on that, where does God fit into all of this? Well, I believe that God created the natural world and that even the, the smallest of molecule was started in motion by God through a set of processes, through a set of principles and assumptions that even I make. And so these constants, these constants in the natural world are something that I live in and I breathe in, and I function in, and I depend upon that I, my feet are going to be put on, when I take a step, my foot is put in front of the other, and I'm going to touch ground, and I assume the constant of gravity is going to be present. Yet God can work outside of those constants. Even though I believe that the natural is spiritual and created, I believe God is a supernatural and can work outside of the natural constants. So as my friend would say, science and religion need to stay in their lanes. Two different disciplines. And I think many times the two mash together too much and we get confused and threatened. So when science takes something that we thought was supernatural and shows that it's actually natural, then we get afraid. Like somehow science will take away my Jesus, right? Yet I also will guess that the supernatural sometimes does the same. Sometimes the supernatural takes what was thought to be natural and shows that it's supernatural, and the natural changes into a supernatural through scientific study. And so this is where something that I thought was to be natural and proven and then becomes unexplainable or a human phenomenon again. So there's an inappropriate mashing where we try to cross lanes and say things that are just not reasonable and, and honestly quite lame. And so the Christian community is notorious for looking very foolish when we point the finger or we deny something or we say that does not exist we look very foolish when all of science points that direction and we disagree with the data. So such things like global uh, climate change. What the Christian community has done with that is we've looked very foolish. And so the data needs to be the data. Our theology needs to be our theology. And we need to stay in these lanes. And one needs to point towards the other for answers, not just blame and shame and denial and rejection. So in answering the God question, why would I believe in God? If I have a huge amount of evidence for the natural world around me, what is the point of believing the supernatural? Well, in Psalm 19, starting in verse 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words into the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. So the psalmist is telling me that the universe is speaking something. It's communicating something about God that I need to listen to. So the heavens point to an intelligence. And that intelligence says something about the universe, but it also, also says something about God. 
So I believe that God points to science and science points to God. But science is not God and God is not science. And so here are some specific concepts in science that speak to me about God. Believe it or not, first, the the first concept is the Big Bang. Now, I look at the data, I look at the science, I look at, at all of the theories that are out there, and I can confidently say the Big Bang happened. Now, this is one theory that speaks to me about God more than, than most. The theory is that everything started as a condensed matter at one point and then exploded and now is understood as an ever-expanding universe. And what is cool is we keep discovering things within that ever-expanding universe. Yet what is sad is Christians and many Christians, I want to use the word most, but I'll just say many Christians have demonized this theory into the fact that science believes in. That is just another reason why we don't have to believe in God. That is what a Christian would and has claimed traditionally about the Big Bang Theory, a way of running away from God, let's say. Well, I think the opposite is true. The Big Bang is proof to me that scientists are willing to follow wherever the evidence leads. And I would theorize that if the universe has a starting point, then the universe is not self-explanatory like an eternal universe would be. So the question of what was before the Big Bang then transcends understanding at that point because something can't be from nothing. And so this, this points to an eternal something or something that could make something from nothing, ex nihilo, right? So our understanding of this then transcends to what science points to. It goes beyond that. It's like, what is, what is beyond that natural starting singular point? Is there something more? Well, our understanding of this comes from the idea of gravity. We have to understand our theory of gravity, what it is, and how it basically differs from how you might think of gravity intuitively. Most of us think of space because we live in a very constant world. Most of us think of space the way Newton did, a fixed, unchanging set of coordinates that you could place your masses down onto. And when Newton first conceived of the universe, he pictured space as a grid. And it was an absolute fixed entity filled with masses that gravitationally attracted one another. But when Einstein comes along, he recognizes that this imaginary grid wasn't fixed. It wasn't absolute and wasn't at all like Newton had imagined. So he comes up with this theory of relativity. Instead, this grid was like a fabric. And this fabric instead was curved and distorted and forced to evolve over time by the presence of matter and energy. Moreover, the matter and energy within it determined how this space-time fabric was curved. So Einstein's equations worked because he, he showed an expanding universe. So they begin this journey that we have this expanding universe that began at a certain point. And that threatens the fundamental Christian thought that God put just everything in place like an appearance. Yet a person by the name of Hubble, like the telescope named after, showed that the farther you got out from in the universe, 
the faster things were moving. And that's the Hubble law. So there's now a theorized expanded universe. Yet, was it eternal or was there a starting point? If it was eternal, they called that an expansion and collapse, like an accordion universe. The expansion was the Big Bang. The collapse was the Big Crunch. The problem with this in the accordion universe is this, this, this expansion and contraction over billions of years coming back together and then breaking apart again and coming back together, that idea breaks the second law of thermodynamics. So everything's supposed to trend to randomness and the oscillating universe would eventually die out because the second bang would be weaker than the first bang and the third bang would be weaker than the second bang. And so at this point of eternity where we are now, the universe basically would be dead, you would think, and so are weak at best. So I will theorize based on evidence and based on, on research and, and points of assumption that there was a beginning and a created moment that I believe was a created moment that was, by God's word says, spoken in existence by the creator. That moves from the natural coming to the point of, of power and, and gravity and this pinpoint of force that caused the Big Bang. What was before that? Well, that moves from natural to supernatural. And I would take a stance like a gentleman by the name of Robert Jastrow, which I, I don't agree with a lot of his stuff, but I agree with some of this stuff where he would take a point that there was something before, and that moves from the natural to the supernatural, and I would call that supernatural God. So anything less is profoundly, to me, very unsatisfying and not a foundational reality that I want to put my faith in. So at the Big Bang, that is where I start asking questions. I can follow science all along until we get to that point of singularity where no other explainable questions can be asked, and then my questions start, like, where did the condensed matter come from? Who created the condensed matter? What was before the condensed matter? All those questions, right, that I hypothesize in my brain and stay up at night thinking about. What I believe is science points to realities, quantifiable data, pretty solid assumptions, and at some point, the supernatural reality takes over. Like our science, like my science friend would say that this is the line we cross from the natural to the supernatural. But she also said that line, we don't know exactly where that line is. So to hard line that somewhere is probably not good practice either. So let's say the natural brings us to the question of whether or not the universe is eternal. And we declare, no, the universe is not eternal. There's, there's not an expansion and contraction because that breaks the law of thermodynamics. So we then have to declare what is eternal. And that is where our belief is put into effect. We believe God is eternal. So I think that the Big Bang points me right towards that singular point and beyond that singular point, God. So the second idea that points me to the supernatural and brings me to a singular point and then God is what is called anthropic fine-tuning. Anthropic, anthropic fine-tuning is a big phrase for big people, right? But that is where the universe is finely tuned 
to support life. So Genesis is a Greek word that means beginning. And the very first verse of Genesis implies that the universe itself has a beginning. It reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So all matter that can be seen, observed, or even inferred to ex exists in this universe because it was brought into existence at one moment by a creator who exists outside the limits and laws of the universe itself. So Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So the cause of the existence of the universe lies outside the universe itself. So the Big Bang Theory also points to the beginning to all of space, time, and matter, as well as the scientific laws governing all space, time, and matter. So both scripture and science reveal to us that there must be a cause that lies outside the universe itself. So we have that set. But the Bible does not tell us that God instantly formed our universe and the earth exactly as we see it today. In fact, the earth was at, at first very disordered, as we read in the next verse. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. What is certain of Scripture is that during this period prior to God's preparation of the world, the conditions necessary to support life did not exist yet. So then God begins a process of transforming the formless void into a habitation fit for life. And this process takes place over the time of creation. So it is not clear from Scripture what the time frame of creation is. Genesis, in the beginning part of Genesis, in the first chapters, are a Hebrew poem. It's a Hebrew poem with the ideas of six and the seventh day God rested. This is a perfect rhythm to life to sustain the natural and the supernatural, the body and the spirit. So we can only conclude that a process takes place in which the chaos is transformed into this well-ordered habitation fit for life. And the biblical rhythm is a spiritual rhythm versus some historical precision. Yet you can believe that, poof, it's all here and the way it is, and God created the world with age, and, and, and we all get to go to heaven together anyway, right? But I just think that science in a responsible way points us to a reasonable reality that Christians can think about and also agree with. So in this formation of everything, we know this. Everything that we know that is matter, organic and non-organic, in the formation that's, that's the habitation fit for life, there are forces in complete balance keeping all of this organic and non-organic matter solid. There are precise forces that allow stability. And this is the reason why we have order, the order of things. There is an infinite number of ways to be wrong, but the reality of matter and the balancing of forces, there's one way to be right. And probability-wise, it's impossible that this has happened by accident. They call it a delicate balance and probably impossible by accident, 
because there's 47 forces that are pushing and pulling in a precise manner on all matter that keeps us stable and solid. So there is a ratio of electromagnetic forces that are constant gravitational forces. And if you alter them, one in 10 to the 40th power, stars wouldn't be able to produce elements like helium. They, they wouldn't, there would be no oxygen or carbon or nitrogen that's required for life. If you just alter that just slightly, and this is the anthropic fine-tuning, if you just alter one of these forces just slightly, no carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen that's required uh, to be fit for life. And so the more improbable in, in, in order is, the more implausible it is to explain it by chance or accident. So to illustrate this just a little bit, there is, there is one in 36 chance you will roll two single pips on two different dice. Let's say you're at the craps table and you're just rolling dice. There's one in 36 chance that you'll roll snake eyes. To do that two times in a row, roll two snake eyes, is one in 1,296 chance. To do it six times in a row is one in 2,176,782,000 chance. So at that point, it's literally impossible to roll snake eyes six times. So for all 47 forces to act in a manner that keeps things stable is one in 10 to the 150 fourth power. 154th power. So the idea of the universe having a beginning and the improbability of stability within that universe being an accident are the reasons I give for the existence of a creator. The universe can't explain itself. And there's a beginning and there's a fine tuning that makes it possible. Possible for what? Possible for me to believe in God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the existence of our universe and how magnificent it is, how wonderful it is, how beautiful it is. You declared it beautiful in the beginning. Thank you for being our creator. Thank you for giving us the natural and the processes and the laws that make our world our world and the universe the universe, that we can live in such a created place in a creative place, in the universe, such a beautiful place. Lord, as we explore and think about these subjects and these topics, Lord, help us to just point our faith towards you. Lord, that our faith can be in you and that, that we can think about science and agree with science and that science points us to, to your reality. So Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.